you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. So let's see. Uh, what's on the agenda for today? Yeah, I think yeah. we have an agenda. Will we get to some of it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, first I got to ask, how's your uh, tooth? How's your root canal? I mean, that's uh, those are big. So it's uh, first day without taking a painkiller. You know, I, and it's not that it doesn't hurt. It's just that I really sometimes want to want to take a painkiller many days in a row um, because, like, if you have to take Tylenol, it can actually be liver affecting and other things. They lose their effectiveness over right. time. And so I've been on ibuprofen, and it's just a dull ache. In the last couple of days, it's actually been um, enough of an ache that it was actually distracting. You know what I mean? And it has a certain amount of surface sensitivity. Right. And it's kind of funny. You know, it, it, this isn't necessarily meant to be uh, – health outlets time but one of the cool geeky things is it's it's fascinating to me to just be maybe made aware of um things you know are there but they haven't happened to you like for instance you look at a skull and you can see that like it's not a head where everything is sealed there's holes where the nose is and there's holes through the eyes and it's all kind of interconnected in the sinus cavity so having had this worked on one of the reasons that they had to build the bone up in the first place is because instead of being able to just I, I had had a, a post from a previous root canal after a million bites you know 30 years or something like that had actually cracked the underlying tooth see you hurt. should have just kept licking the tootsie roll to get to the tootsie roll pop center <laughs> you know if only i'd eaten farina for the last 30 years yes. if only i'd eaten pabulum but uh so they have to the problem with building the bone up is that it's really close to you like your sinus cavities mm. and they don't want to not to be gross, punch through, and all of a sudden you've got blood and air coming in your mouth, not from your air passage, <laughs> but from bad. your So they, they kind of describe, I'm curious, you know, I mean, not ghoulish, but I'm curious as to so what all are we doing? And yeah. for the first time, they did a cool thing where they draw blood from you and they mix that with the stuff they're going to be using so that your body doesn't reject it, first of all, but also immediately acts as if, oh, Here's something, but it got hurt. Let's work on fixing it. So they kind of build this whole cool f flesh and bone scaffolding. And then it takes a while for you to do that. You know, your body is supposed to be six months before wow. I can get the post actually screwed in that will then hold the crown for my tooth. And so, but the healing, it already seems to be, I have stitches in there, which is, and you know how you are, even if you're like, okay, it's sensitive, it hurts a little bit. But your tongue just goes like looking around like an eel in, in, in a coral reef. And so I can I can sense the various different stitches that are there. And there's a lot of them. You know, they cut your your, your gum line. They pulled a flat flap of flash up. I know that's just like, I didn't believe me. I didn't want to post any pictures. I didn't want to take one so I could see what was really going on. Because I don't want to be like, here's the skull from Walking Dead featuring Al. You know what I mean? So I didn't want to do any of that. But it all seems to be kind of calmed down now for a while. And I kind of mentioned this. It really shows you how much it's all interconnected because I would get a little bit of blood, a drop of blood, like from my nose. Well, they didn't do anything with my nose. No, but the tissue walls there are all so close and interactive that while it's 
healing, porous, inflamed, insulted, if you will. It's getting rid of blood or lymph after it's done using it, if you will. So, so I, and it wasn't a gusher. It was just like a little bit, but anything that you get, they were like, well, that's not good. Am I leaking? I don't want it to be that there's a leak in between chambers that are usually yeah, pretty well walled off. That's infection waiting to happen. Yeah. And and so I, I actually, you know, I've never been told this before. You know, I occasionally, no matter, I don't get sick that often, but hey, if you um, sneeze, make sure you sneeze with your mouth open because if you sneeze enough to cause that, you know, sneezes are very powerful, right? You sneeze at 80 miles an hour and the amount of pressure, you might actually like hurt this, rupture yeah. what they've just done all this stitching for and stuff like that. So while I'm in public and I feel the need to sneeze, it's like, well, not only do I have to do the Dracula sneeze like you're supposed to, but I have to be like, am I going to go into the whole explanation of, I know that I should close my mouth when I sneeze. I'm not four years old and, and a, a foolish child, but I can't right now because I'm right. going to blow my head off. You know right, what I mean? right. Well, Gina, I, I, she makes me laugh because when she sneezes, she does one of those. I'm like, why do you always want to sneeze on your boobs? I, I, I mean, <laughs> what is up with that? Send it down there for yeah. storage, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so that, that whole thing with the blood and building up the, the bone and all that, that's the coolest thing. And hello, folks, science. We've learned new things. It's changed. Um, and yeah. was the first couple, you know, so it's like, well, why didn't they do that before? Well, we didn't know. We had to do these other things to discover how to do this. And that's how it works. But that's right. the fact that they do that, that's so cool because it makes sense. Yeah. The, um, uh, they, for instance, the painkiller that they used was absolutely effective. I was on, in the chair for like an hour and a half. It took Oof. a lot of work to remove previous stuff get to where they could put it in correctly. The bone marrow has to be mixed a little bit, the blood and then packed in, you know, it's, it's not at all a uh, computer assisted. It's, it's a guy with skilled hands, Dr. Picard doing it. And so I was really worried in, in the past, even when I've had a cavity, a cavity filled, I tend to, what do they call process anesthetic relatively quickly. And there's been a number of times where I really had to put the hand up and say, I'm going to feel that. Don't, don't proceed. I don't want to be butt walking out of this chair to right. get away from your damn drill. <laughs> and so luckily they, they shot me up with enough. First they numb your gum, then they give you a shot. And that's the, the first shots are the ones where even if they've numbed your gun, there's that weird pressure and a I little bit of that. pain feeling. And this is kind of funny. I don't, I don't know that I do that many involuntary things, when they were causing me pain, I was growling at them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I just, some animal part of me, the way I had to process, I'm in danger. Your body wants to get away, but you're mastering yourself because you are an intelligent human being. But some part of your animal is going, like I really was growling at them. And they kind of laughed and they were like, you know, I'm a big guy. And so they always worry. They, they often talk about, you know, please let us know if you're hurting because we'd rather get you out of pain than have you like kick us. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, so. <laughs> right. And the, the, so, I mean, you know, we've all heard the people that uh, take their own blood and put it in storage. So if they ever need it, they've got their own blood. And, you know, they do skin grafts from other areas, of your body, uh, you know, your butt. And it sounds funny, but because you don't show your butt a whole lot, if it has a scar, it's not as big a deal. And they put the, exactly. say, so to avoid the rejection and all that. And that's why they look at family members for kidneys and stuff first. Absolutely. And that so. is, as you know, that's, that is absolutely a, a part of science that has grown back when they first thought of doing that, they had to worry about, you know, first just rejection of any organ, any blood type, anything that wasn't you, 
your body has amazing defenses. And even if it, hey, it's another human being, that's not how it looks like to your body. You're the wrong right. blood type or you're the wrong. And it says this is an intruder and I'd best get it out of here. Right. And so the fact that they've been able to come up with anti-rejection drugs that actually, you know, um, I have a friend who is immunocompromised for this current COVID terribleness because he had my kidney replaced and he has to continually be on uh, anti-rejection drugs because even though it was a very close match, it wasn't his kidney. It wasn't a family member kidney. Well, that immunosuppressing drug that stops the reaction to that kidney also stops your immune system in general. And so he's one of the guys that his white blood count and whatever other things go into an immune system are always slightly lowered. And especially against something as predatory as COVID-19, you just can't. He's, so he's being very careful about that. Wow. And so the little scaffolding they did with, you know, and it's kind of funny, you don't want to hear the word membrane in polite conversation, but that's the word they were using for what they were doing to it, because your bone actually pushes into your sinuses, they put a, a couple membranes so that as they packed bone in, even the act of pushing bone in didn't push through it, your, your tissue into it. So they gave me kind of extra cushioning, extra membrane so that that wouldn't happen. And, and because it had my blood, the body's saying, thank you very much. We'll get to work on this as opposed to get the intruder. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? We've come such a wow. long way from George Washington's wooden false teeth, you know, wooden teeth or tying your, your tooth to a doorknob, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and closing the door like the old tonsorial artists in the old right. West did. And, and it, it, it's funny. You, you got that done just this past week because Jason got his braces and it is so different when, when I was younger and got braces I remember it was like, you know, steel wires that stuck out and you could see it and it was just huge. You could, you know, if it, he's got something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I barely see that. You know, the wire well, is are they in Invisalign. I think that's the brand name that I well, bought because I actually looked at investing in that stock because they're the best current thing going for all those reasons. You don't get called metal mouth in school anymore right. because your braces are near invisible. You know? I, I, so. the, the, the part they put on the tooth, you can still see that's a lot smaller, it looks like. But the okay. wire itself, you really can't. So it might be, it might be a hybrid something. Uh, yeah. You, know, you can tell it has the same tensile strength, but not a cable. It's got a thread, and so it's more right. you know, unseal. That's it's really cool. I mean, some some part of pardon me, I'm having this is a sad combination when it itches, but it also is painful, like shingles, I guess, or something like that. So I'm having to be like careful about your body when it's healing, it itches to kind of let you know it's doing work or something right, like that. Right, right. I have to be careful of not giving it the big rigorous because I'll punch myself in my wound. Don't get anyway. too caught up in a book or a movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad that he's, and most of those things, they're not just advances in cosmetics, they're advances in how it works. They really know how to like align things and it's all computer uh, uh, guided for your exact mouth. So instead of being, we have braces that will, force your mouth into being a certain way instead they look at your existing stuff and they say this changes by seven percent this one by 13 percent and it it does all that work but without the kind of the massive amount of overcorrection that they yeah. used to do when they didn't have the fine tuning to it, it i guess it, it, I, I was so upset and disappointed though because i remember when i got braces they had that pink goop and they get a big a tray and I kick it in your mouth. It's like, okay. Take the impression. Okay. Yeah, try yeah. not to breathe for the next 15 minutes. It's like, really? Uh, you know, and it's just, you're, you're like uncomfortable. You're, they didn't do that at all. 
they use 3D imaging and pictures and crap and they got it down. I'm like, well, that sucks. Can't you do it for it just to please me? You know, no. That's, that's such a fraternity attitude. If I went through hell, you're going to go well, through yeah. hell too. It kind of takes away the fun you know part of I mean? being old <laughs> and making the kids uncomfortable. And, oh, yeah, wait till you do this. Uh, uh, exactly. And they're like, yeah, that was nothing. The, the other cool thing is the glue and stuff they use. They, they use one of those blue lights, uh, UV blue lights, and they flash it and it helps harden it quicker. Um, yeah. So, and, and he's not even as restricted on, on what they're eating because I guess it's stronger and holds better. So it holds up a so little better. Corn on the cob, apples, well, peanut not, butter, whatever the old nemeses were, right? Yeah. So, they, okay. they say, you know, things like popcorn, instead of just chomping on it, you know, suck it a little bit, you know, but you can, if you're careful. Um, yeah, yeah. But so it's funny how it's that combination of the same types of things like you can't eat this, you can't eat this, you still have to use the flossers to get in between there to do all that. Right. But the new stuff of how it doesn't look the same and how they got the impressions and that. Yeah. So it's this nice combination of what's changed in 30 years. Exactly. Less chance for you in, in, inadvertently to wreck it. You know what I mean? If they yeah. got it to where you, you, don't have to be as careful, but also even if you're uncareful, it doesn't automatically go sprang and come off. It actually has some more pencil strength, some resistance. Yeah. And, so and, yeah. and the same thing with the broken foot. Uh, you know, I mean, when we were younger, they, if you broke something, they would uh, do surgery and they could put a pin in it. You know, my right. friend Reese has that. Um, but now he only had a cast on for two weeks and right, a soft cast, so you yeah. get the muscles involved, not only the bone knitting, but kind of yeah. keep range of movement, right? And, exactly. and then they had a walking boot. And I'm like, it, it, you know, it's almost not inconvenient at all for him. Uh, it, it is amazing. I, I, and I love those advances that they, um, the materials are better, the, the discomfort to the patient is better. People will heal better if they're not, you know, I need to go for a bike ride, but this doesn't fit my bike, and I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm going to wreck it somehow. Yeah. You know, instead, yeah. Here's a, here's a fun, again, to bring it to the geeky. So, you know, they're working on me with very different drills or um, <laughs> grinders, and they, uh, they each have their own frequency. And one of the other things besides getting the shot, when, when you hear certain sounds or smell certain smells, my instinct is, get out of there <laughs> you know when you smell burning flesh or burning bone it's really one of those things that you don't want to be around for whatever's going on so i'm like okay hold on to the chair do not attempt to slither out um one of the the grinders that they used actually resonated right where your whole head is a resonance chamber so all of a sudden all the sound outside goes away because all you're hearing is just and like well how cool is that but that's a little disconcerting, you know what I mean? <laughs> Hope that's not rattling my brain in its case or something right. like that. <laughs> I, I have a friend who has perfect pitch. He can hear any tone right. and tell you what pitch it is. So he, too bad he wasn't there. He could have told you what the resonance of your skull is. And, <laughs> you know, we get the tuning fork that fits that, stick them in your ears. I, I really was curious. I, I don't have any idea of what it was, like how many cycles. And yet it's like, well, let's see. If I had to guess, was it like, 220 versus 880. I, I was trying to think of what I know, what certain sounds sound right. like, and what did that, if you will, feel like, sound like in my head. But then I'm thinking, well, you hearing it in your head is kind of like a bone conduction mic. It's not the same as if your ears were processing it. Right. So I, I and, and part of my nervousness is, um, well, let's go to science. Let's think about this a little bit as a way of distracting myself from, uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. I am, you know, getting worked on. My my head is open. <laughs> yeah. <the> no. <laughs> well, when I was younger, 
uh, like in kindergarten, first grade, my teeth were so bad, so soft, the, the enamel, that literally I would eat a banana and pieces of my tooth would fleck off. It, and That's amazingly soft. When I was, yeah, when I was in kindergarten, I actually had false teeth uh, because my baby teeth had just fallen away before I had my So some weird teeth. calcium thing for you, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe. I guess, okay, okay. But I've wow. noticed now, uh, I'm a little older, but I, I, I had a couple of my old fillings break off because, you know, fillings in the 80s, 70s, uh, that's right. improved a lot. So those wore out and broke off. So I have to get a couple crowns. Yeah. But I noticed a few spots kind of the, the uh, that flaked off a little bit. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's coming back to haunt me that I'm going to have to get crowns okay. or false teeth or something. So I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if they're going to come up with some uh, spray on covering coating for the enamel it or gives something. You good enamel instead of softer yeah. enamel or something. I know that that's also what they've said about stannous fluoride. The reason that it's in toothpaste is that it really does help to keep the, you know, your, the, the enamel that is your tooth is a very particular combination of things, and that stannous fluoride helps to reinforce it yeah. and keep cavities out of it, if you will. So maybe there is some wash, some spray that a couple applications, and you'll be like Jaws. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and you know, this whole talk about the medicine and the improvements and the advancements in science and technology, yeah. the, the couple subscribers we have that uh, don't believe in any of that science crap, they just canceled. So. <laughs> We're probably, okay. Bye. <laughs> That's true. There, there was no time in the little um, package of stuff they gave me for, you know, here's the, the mouth rinse that you're going to do to keep things sterile. Here's the socket gel that you're going to put on the wound to actually, you know, none of that included, and then pray. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So, and anybody who wants to pray for me, my friends, if it makes you feel good, you know, but I really am happy that science has figured this out instead of saying, you know, we're going to trust in Providence to make your tooth better. I don't know how many people, uh, if you will, died of bad teeth, but you really oh. can get bad infections. Oh, and yeah. same thing, your life it just becomes miserable. You know, I, I never needed uh, uh, braces. Both my older and my younger brother did. And so it's kind of like, well, I saved my mom, mom and dad some money. But luckily, I I did have wisdom teeth taken out at one point, and they had they were crowding my head. You know what I mean? They were coming in just like they're not supposed to and getting impact and stuff like that. Otherwise... As much as I've had my, my share of fillings, um, I, I have not had a bad run dentally. I've never had like a tooth crack and I was oh, immediately lucky. in pain or things like that. Colleen has never had a cavity. Wow. She is wonderfully uh, um, industrious and correct about brushing and flossing every day. And she must have, you know, some people have more, I think it's acetic saliva that more quickly changes starches in your mouth to sugars. And then they can more easily like attack your teeth. I think she has less of that condition. So oh, nice. she's got a, a beautiful set of teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like when you open it up, there's not that little sea of silver that I have and many others do. Yeah. So good for her. And I don't know she's you know, made it into like, you know, senior citizenhood. You know, I, I, and I don't think she would mind me saying that way. You don't give away a woman's age, but still she's of an age with me. Right. And yet not a cavity. I don't know nice. that many people that can say that, no, especially no. in this world of, you know, sugars and cookies and have a Twizzler. And you know what I mean? That there's sugar and ketchup, there's sugar and everything. Yeah. She's never had a cavity. That's fantastic. Wow, that is. <laughs> okay. So something you said, let me push back. And this should be a good discussion, I think. Praying uh, okay. for you, um, which I, I'm a, kind of the same mind. It's like, okay, if you really want to, I'm not because whatever. But being the devil's advocate, I can see the argument. We have some friends in Mensa that do Reiki. And they 
truly believe in it. And they've talked about, here's some results we've seen, things we've seen happen because of Reiki. So what would really be the difference between someone practicing Reiki and somebody praying other than the terminology of what you're doing? So I don't think there's much difference in the terminology, but I think what there is, is the reality of it. Right. The the placebo effect, us <laughs> being able to believe we're getting cured yes. and then causing it to happen on our own is very strong. Yeah. As you know, when, when they do classic double blind tests for efficacy, they're not so much testing, does it work? It's testing, does it work against if we did nothing, but you believe that you were getting cured. <laughs> right. So that's why they do the double blind test. If you think you're getting the cure and then, you know, it's just that if you, if you get better, just because you think you're getting better, it's because the mind is amazing and it tells your body produce more of whatever antibiotic or rebuilding of body or uh, get rid of your vertigo, whatever the conditions are that I've heard that placebo effect really works against. Right. And that's kind of what's going on with prayer or Reiki or anything that is mind over body. You know, the mind body connection is so strong that I, I haven't had great results when I went in for a massage and they slapped some Reiki on me because I really kind of don't believe in it. And so I'm kind of rejecting of it. I guess I don't get as much the placebo effect from that as I do. Well, she loosened up my muscles and I know that that does good things. Right. You know, um, and, and I, I love though <laughs> what you said though about that. Cause that's, that's right there on that fringe of new age mindset and science. You know, they have shown over and over that it, it, the mind can, the placebo effect. If you think you're getting this medicine, you get better as if you got the medicine. And we've all heard laughter is the best medicine, a good mindset and right. how it improves. And it really does uh, just in general health, but yeah. they Super can't pills versus antibiotic, but there's no versus they can work right. very similarly. Exactly. Right. But they can't really prove this scientifically. I, I mean, for me, I love that because that tells me there's still things we don't understand. There's something going on, but we don't know what it is. And I still think there's answers down in the quantum world along with this. Reiki is really, as explained to me, is channeling energy to help heal. Okay. That, I mean, can be totally explained if you get into quantum physics. Uh, channeling Except you energy. can't use quantum physics as a substitute for the word magic. There's no well, detectable I, energy. There's no way of duplicating it under controlled conditions. Yes. There's there's no reality to it except our belief. And so I don't go to, well, maybe it can be explained in the quantum world because that well, isn't, well, that isn't I, that's I, I don't, our latest word for, right. oh, it's phlogiston. That's where flames come from. Do you know I, what I, I mean? don't disagree with that. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with that. What I'm trying to say, though, is my point is there's still a lot of things we don't understand. And I think some of these things at some point could be understood and explained more scientifically. We're, we just don't have that knowledge yet. Uh, the placebo effect being one of them, Reiki could be something. I, you know, it's just, I, I, I'm not saying there is, and I'm not saying it, it's explainable right now, but I just have that. It's my belief that there is an explanation that we can't get to right now. The way I think about it a lot is that it's not a yes, no, but there's a, a spectrum of how could it, how much could it be true? And when they've studied something extensively and over hundreds of years, and there's continues to be no evidence for homeopathy or <laughs> true acupuncture or Reiki or any number of other things, the fact that it sometimes work is interesting. You know, that, 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 that it's cool to see that other things have failed and this finally helped. 
And so I, I want to be, yes, there's a possibility that there's something out there, but the way you have to kind of bring it into the world is, does it work for most people most of the time? Does it work predictably and uh, that you can vary the dosage, if you will, based on the <laughs> severity of the condition? All the other things that science is about, about understanding and predictability and variability so that you can see what leverage points you have, so much of that doesn't apply to the strength of belief. The, 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 the one time it works out of a thousand isn't the reason that you should abandon the other 999. It just is, well, there's still that possibility. I, but how am I going to bet? I'm going to bet on antibiotics instead of acupuncture oh, yeah. or whatever the appropriate I, comparisons might be. You know, <laughs> Reiki's probably an interesting one to think about, though. I wonder because they, you know, they're talking about energy. I wonder if they, we could do some scientific experiments to see if we could detect energy channeling or because we can, you know, we can use various filters and see in different spectrums, you know, infrared, we have infrared cameras and stuff. So are, are, is this magnetic uh, and can, we can see that with the Aurora Borealis. Can we see it with other filters or lenses? And are there detectors that detect magnetic energy? I know we've got stud finders and electrical. Right, right. So, so what I'm getting at is nobody's really cared to try, but I wonder if you could more scientifically say, okay, can we detect any difference in energy, uh, different types of energy? when you're you're practicing Reiki and when you're not. Is this room, here's the energy reading. Now there's people in here doing Reiki. What's the energy reading? Or yeah. what's, I, you know, I, not that it would prove so, it ever. Right. <laughs> but, and actually, I, I'll, I'll throw this out. You just said nobody has cared to try. Actually, people have. You know, oh, okay. guys like the amazing Randy that were the known debunkers, guys like Penn and Gillette. There's any number, the whole skeptical society of america regularly <laughs> says what's the latest thing we're hearing about and let's see how true it is and I love so those. You know, yeah the, the fact that you know we hear about ivermectin now good lord snake oil people are so <laughs> willing they, they can be here's the here's the real medicine right in front of you and then here's a guy in a fancy coat selling you snake oil and they go i'm going with the snake oil it's a little bit cheaper and and like so reason for saying that is there have been studies of various different um, non-Western medicine, if you will, and they really haven't been able to find I any of those. You know, there, there's like, there is a change in the energy of the room. There's a change in a person's energy field. They run it through, you know, besides our visible, we know that there's other spectra in terms of the electromagnetic right. and uh, the various different wavelengths and so forth. And they turn on everything, if you will. They run it through everything and they say, so Reiki practitioner, what are you seeing when you think you're, waving your hands and manipulating the energy field and they look for through everything that they can is this a hot spot is this red versus green is it did we see any detect any change at the surface or in the tissues of the person that they're and there's not nothing not only is there not a lot of proof there's no proof i think <laughs> it's been so often debunked that you know we say well we have to leave it open because we know some people that have been either cured by it or at least believed by it and so maybe but when you give it the hard, is it yes or no? The, the no is really loud. See, I love, I love that. I, <laughs> you know I mean, what I, mean? <laughs> I, I can totally have my own thoughts and beliefs, but I actually love seeing the the hard proof one way or the other, or the attempt to yeah. try and prove. Because uh, you know, we talk a lot about the paranormal stuff, and I, I'm doing some things with Colin and Gina, and there's a lot of uh, 
Oh, <clears throat> these are the things that drive me crazy. Uh, this one guy got on Colin's case and was yelling at him. You're too young to know anything. You don't have the right to talk about any of this, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, really dude, shut up. And then he says, until you've actually heard a Bigfoot, you don't know anything. And I'm like, wait a second, who heard a Bigfoot? And he goes, well, I have. How do you know? Well, I heard him in the woods. Okay, we're done with this whole thing because, uh, but, but, but that's the, the thing. Um, there's, and I've said this about the, to, to the other guys uh, in the podcast that any picture or video that we get on the internet from somebody will never prove it one way or the other. Because, because they're so easily processed nowadays. It's so easy to yes. do a deep fake, a very convincing, yes. I hear you. You know what and, I mean? And and that, boy, that's been true for a and long there's time. there's so many <laughs> things that could be, I mean, we're, we're transforming our 3D world with light and shadow through a lens to 2D, whether it's video or pictures. And there, it changes the perspective and how things look and all that. So yes. it's great to look at some of these pictures and videos. And there's a few that I'm like, well, that makes me wonder. Mostly the ones where you have animals reacting to something. Okay. And then you're like, okay, you're, you're not getting the dog to act that way on cue. Uh, exactly. So those are the ones that make me think a bit. But again, it's not a proof. Uh, it, it, it could be still a shadow from somebody in the next room, whatever. But point is... Uh, you know, the same thing with some of this, I, I, I mean, I still think there's, there are so many things we don't know when it comes to the quantum realm of science that we don't even know what questions to ask. But I've also been learning a little more about uh, things on the universal scale that uh, science changes when you start pulling back and looking at whole solar systems and oh, yeah. galaxies and, and it's totally different there too. So I'm like, okay, well now my mind's a little blown because I can't comprehend all that. But yeah. I, I just, it is always a matter of scale and a matter of what energies operate yes. within detectable differences at, you know, an inch away, a yard away, a mile away, a universe away. Et cetera, right. et cetera, and, and I know. think for me, because I've got that creative fiction mind uh, uh, with wonder that I view all this stuff with a sense of like 12 year old wonder still. <laughs> yeah. How could this work? If it, if it did work, how would this work? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But actually having said that there's a wonderful show called bullshit. that yeah. was done by Penn and Teller, Penn and like Teller. Five seasons worth, and much like Mythbusters, you know, where they really tried to say for all these various different urban myths, could it really happen that you drop a coin off the empire state building and boom, it kills, kills someone. <laughs> they, one of the ways in which the, um, skeptics and the debunkers have often done things is if there's a way that I can duplicate the effect that you're talking about, the spooky knocks at a seance or the, um, the, the lights in the swamp that everybody thinks is, uh, you know, will of the wisp or whatever. If I can do that so convincingly that you would swear that I'm the guy that has psychic powers or I'm the guy that's in touch with the dead or whatever, then it just is that what you found is not me, but another practitioner who's really skilled at doing it. Right. But it's not proof because I can prove that there was no, um, there was nothing but fakery about what I did. There was no real extra energy contact with the dead, et cetera. And they, they, I mean, in five seasons, they must have done, let's see, is it 13 episodes, oh. 65, maybe, maybe twice as many, you know, 130 different things where all the ways in which magicians are good at mind reading at predicting, um, oh, where, how did that card get into your pocket? They, one of the ways in which they made their their um, bones as magicians was revealing tricks. Yeah. You know, magicians had this big brotherhood of, you don't, you don't do that. But part of that was not to show you the mystery of it, but the incredible skill 
that yeah. goes into being able to do something to perfectly time, perfectly distract, crunch your body into a small space, whatever all those things might be. And especially to all that, when, when there's still people that are doing psychic surgery, you know what I mean? Where they're reaching and all of a sudden out comes some guts and they show how you can do it incredibly convincingly, but they didn't. <laughs> they didn't reach into somebody and right. pull out the cancer. So I go by a lot of that, that it's not only what can we prove, but if you can do a convincing fake, those fields on the edge of science like you're talking about are so loaded with charlatans. Yeah, you know what I mean? it gives it a bad name regardless. Yeah, you know, it, it's amazing that they have that level of skill, but boy, if they would have put that skill into something real, right. into something a little bit that, less suspicious, that's actually one of the, the world. <laughs> that's actually one of the reasons I really liked Harry Houdini, because he used to go around uh, trying to reveal all the charlatan uh, things because he wanted to believe in it. He wanted it to be real. So he wanted to weed out all the bad ones and maybe find that one that's actual. Uh, exactly. didn't happen. But. In fact, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes, you know, all about, you know, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable must be the truth. Well, he built this character in, in some ways, exactly what you're saying, because he had his belief in spiritualism and yeah. mediums. And this character was the one that kind of spoke for him saying, here's how I debunk all of them. But in the meantime, he was still working with his aunt to try to get in contact with the uncle or something like that. Right. So it's real tough to shake belief, no matter how much you yeah. apply science and rigor and, and skepticism to it. You know right. what I mean? Some people want something so much or just, I love being fooled by a great magician. I uh, love that's it. what I'm you want. By it. But I'm, I'm, I'm not saying... He must be mighty to have powers beyond mortal can. It's exactly. more like one amazingly skilled fooler. And that's what <laughs> that's you what appreciate about it. And, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. A, a quick aside, <laughs> I can never picture Sherlock Holmes except uh, Data dressed up as Sherlock Holmes on the holodeck. <laughs> on the holodeck. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so going along these lines, in our house, now we've said our house is haunted. And I, I don't have proof and evidence, but the things we do have you can't convince me otherwise. That's, that's the thing. Um, the one thing we have are one stair door every now and then we'll just suddenly open. And we've got two sides of that in the house. Me and Colin are like, it's just because it wasn't closed all the way. The air pressure right, from it's, upstairs. It's wind. You know what does that? Wind. wind yeah. Does that. <laughs> and I, I showed everybody in the house that, that I can have any of the doors upstairs, not all the way closed. And I can yank that door downstairs. and You'll hear the door up here go click because the air pressure pulls it closed. I've Changes. proven that. Okay. And I've right. shown that one, if it's not latched all the way, all you got to do is walk by it and it'll open. So just like got the it. Ghost Hunter shows, I basically proved that that door does that. But there's other people in the house that are like, no, that door was completely latched and it just opened. I'm like, no, I don't <laughs> think it did. But we can't prove it one way or the other. Okay. Now, the things I will say about well, you that, can prove it, but will people accept the proof or not? That's the difference. <laughs> I can I can prove so, it, but they still okay. say it's not proof of every single time. Okay. okay. I hear you. Things, not, that's our world in a nutshell. Yes. Please go on. <laughs> the things that have happened that make me a little bit more hmm. Uh, when I was younger, my sister and I did not like being in this hallway uh, when it was dark. Because we would hear footsteps in the hallway in our bedrooms at night. Okay, that can easily be, you know, uh, so this house settling, our imagination, or maybe one right. of Your my, my mother. suggestible. Okay, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. it's too easy. So it's not proof of anything. But 
none of my friends would ever stay up in the hallway alone uh, for various <laughs> reasons. Um, but better than that, when my kids were little, uh, they woke up the one day and they were mad at me and grumpy and tired. I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? And they're like, well, because you were stomping around in the hallway all night and keeping all us awake. Night. I was like, what? And I had never mentioned to them. My wife at the time had never mentioned to them about the footsteps in the hallway. And they said the same thing. Now, is that proof? That's very interesting. That's, no, that's it, kind of cool. It, it okay. is very interesting. It makes me yeah. wonder. But then the two things that happened to me personally, and that's the thing. It's when something happens to you personally that you just can't explain and you know is not the wind. <laughs> okay. So the one time I was out shooting baskets uh, on the hoop in front of the garage and our garage door was open and our black lab was laying in there because it's cooler. It's, you know, 300 degrees right. outside. It's cool in the garage. Nice and cool on the concrete. Yeah. Exactly. And this dog was not an intelligent dog. Uh, he was never smart. Uh, loved him to death. He was a galump. Uh, he was like a small horse because the neighbors right. would feed him cow heads. When a they, lot of room in that skull for those two oh, brain God, cells yeah. that he possessed. Big, exactly. Big, um, <laughs> big uh, Labrador. So I'm shooting okay. baskets and our door to the inside had a spring on it. So when you would open it, it'd go and then it slams shut. Okay. So I heard it, which wasn't a big deal because I knew my father was around. So my dad was coming out from the house. No big deal. Right. I knew he didn't go in because he would have went right, right by me and he didn't go by me. Got it. As soon as that door slammed, the Labrador stood up, hackles raised, starts barking towards the door and backs out of the garage. and backs right into me. And instead of stopping or going around, he continued to push on me. And then I realized, wait a second, my father never went in the house. So, so something it, came out of the yes. house. Okay. <laughs> so now again, is this proof of anything? Did I capture anything on film? Did I see something? No, but you can't, the wind ha will never open this door with that spring on it. It's too strong. And with the dog's reaction, that was like, okay, I'm out of here. And I went running up to the garden. Sure enough, my father was there. Mother was at work. Sister was out visiting a friend. There was sure, nobody, nobody else that could have been the exactly. door opener. Okay. Then the last <laughs> thing, and I know this one is very, uh, oh, that was just such and such. But one night in bed, uh, I rolled over and I felt a hand grab my ankle. And I screamed, swatted. And then I heard footsteps run across the carpet, across the floor. Now, oh, this the, is paranormal activity stuff now, exactly. man. Okay. okay. Now, of uh, course, I'm half asleep. <laughs> Did I imagine it? I can't dispute that. It very well could have been. Could it have been my foot sliding on my ankle? Yes, it absolutely could have. But I distinctly felt fingers, and it was a little kid hand because it didn't reach around my whole ankle. It was just grabbing the part of it. Oh and I felt God. fingers, not, <laughs> not just pressure, but individual fingers. Again, not proof could be my imagination. There's a million, everybody'd say, yeah, dismiss it. But between those couple events, that that's why you'll never convince me that there's not something that we just don't know about it, it, just because of those. I hear you. So I, I guess I, I really, um, I accept that you absolutely felt those things. How to word things, it properly? <laughs> and it isn't so much. It isn't so much whether I want to prove it true or not. But what I what I often worry about is anybody that has those experiences in their life when they get the they I was just thinking of you and then the phone rings or whatever else it might be. 
Um, there's explanations for that like, well, there's 10,000 times that you thought of someone, the phone didn't ring, but when it does, that's <laughs> exactly, the one you yes. remember. But the biggest thing is that you those things are extraordinary. You know what I mean? How many times have you had in your uh, decades of life those kinds of things happen? And so there is the possibility of extraordinary, non-natural things happen, but you don't want to have that be to use the door analogy, that you open the door wide for anything can happen and odd things always happen and we can't explain anything right. because most of the way the world works and has to work is that there is reality and there is science and there is reproducibility and so forth. And the sadness that I get is when people have an extraordinary occurrence and they just kind of decide, well, you can't believe science. Oh, that's yeah. Not the that's case. Science is now right 99% of the time instead of 100% of the time. Don't make it zero. Don't even make it 50. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Don't lose sight of the fact that everything else around you, how your stove works, how your watch works, how your sight works, we understand all that. We right. have mastered it. You know what I mean? So much of the world is not about the stove works 99% of the times, but then one time it blew out and it must have been a ghost. No, it might have just been the pilot light if there's such a thing. They can handle, you know what I mean? Like, right. don't don't take and there's sayings about it. You know what I mean? The the exception proves the rule. That's not what that saying is about. It isn't because there's an exception that now that's the new rule. It's more the exception is what proves that the rule applies almost all the time, and we can explain why the exception did, or at least accept that there might be an exception, but that doesn't negate the rule. You know, there's all kinds yeah. of misuse if you will of because some things are really mysterious or unknowable not everything is right almost everything right. else is pretty boringly knowable actually and, and a <laughs> and lot so of the things talk about these extraordinary things but the way that we have to run our regular life is <laughs> everything's pretty normal everything's right, right. just the way we think it is <laughs> and colin always throws out at me he's like just because you believe something doesn't make other stuff true uh, and, and I totally get that. And I, I, I agree. Um, and how many things have happened in the past that they've re-looked into with modern this, that, the other thing and be able to say, oh, it was this improved. So, but, but that again is really where I, my thought comes in. If that we can take something that happened two or 300 years ago, dig up the bones, look at the site, uh, use rate, you know, LIDAR and stuff like that to, analyze it and say oh this is what happened like the dinosaurs oh my god the dinosaurs all died off it must have been something uh, alien well no now we found a meteorite and it, it happened at the same time so we can prove you, you know it okay. that's that's kind of where i'm my thought and beliefs are that yeah. at this point in time there's things we may not be able to explain and there may be things that look unexplainable but they're really mundane and i it's just in 300 years, what will science actually be able to prove of things that we just believe in right now? And, and exactly. again, I'm fool. I look at the world with 12 year old wonder. Uh, so everything to me is yeah, like yeah. a big red shiny balloon. <laughs> Another thing that's really important to go into here is it isn't only a matter of like the physical world. It's that all of this stuff is people perceive it, people witnesses and have it in their lives. When you go into brain chemistry, when you go into how amazingly weird and complex and fallible people's witnessing of things is, like, I don't know, um, so Edgar Allan Poe saw ghosts and wrote about them. Well, it might have been because he was drinking absinthe all the time, and it <laughs> messes with your brain. Yeah. And same with, you know, someone that 
that was able to perceive the future. Well, maybe because they were taking some serious drugs from, or, or, you know what I mean? Um, right, right. That they had too much mercury that madness occasionally stumbles onto. Oh my God, what an amazing insight or truth. But it's because they were going mad, not because the spirit world contacted them or whatever right, else right. it might be. Yeah, absolutely. So that's whenever I have a, a glitch uh, uh, and I hear about that from others, it's like, well, you know, automatically you kind of got to discount anybody who's too dehydrated, too drunk, too uh, sleepy, you know, tired and, and sleep, sleeplessness can really make your brain oh, yeah. work differently than it usually does. And so I don't know how often I'm in an ideal state that I'm really seeing everything around me and taking it all in and all that kind of stuff. This is an odd thing to say. I'm kind of extraordinary in that regard. When I'm cooking on all burners, I really have a pretty good sensory net. I can listen to multiple conversations and really parse them out so that I hear a lot of what's going on in the room. I can listen to a whole bunch of stuff in nature and kind of like a good arranger does for an orchestra, hear the individual uh, uh, instruments and be able to. And so that isn't, I'm not extraordinary. I'm not the only one that can do that, but I can do that. And so it makes me think that sometimes when people, they're, how they process their senses, how their mind is working, that can explain a certain amount of, you. I know you really felt, thought, saw that, and yet you're not a reliable witness. Right. Your brain itself is playing tricks on you so often. You can get people to see extraordinary things, hear extraordinary things, and not even it being forced on them just from um, they saw something they didn't know how to explain, and so they tried to explain it. <laughs> And then that becomes the explanation, even though that was never the reality. Right, right. And, and we explained that well. You know, I mean, we are we see faces in things all the time because that's so much a part of our survival right. apparatus. And but there's no face on Mars. There's no, <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. There's no. And you even donut area or something like that. You even mentioned anyway. a couple of weeks ago about memory, how you were positive that concert. Uh, the blues concert like was like this. And then when you saw the actual video, it was like, oh, that's yes. not So that's Even things that I take so much pride in, how much I remember effortlessly, an right. amazing level of detail and for a long time, and yet things I would have bet my pants off about, I was wrong. And right. so it's good to get that injection of humility, that injection of reality once in a while, because right. no, you, I really am nowhere near perfect. Nowhere and, near it. And, <laughs> and we talked about this on the Cryptic Collective podcast. Uh, because yes. Gina has experienced things and she told us about some of her experiences and we didn't rip her apart, but we were like, okay, let's stop. What, what are the possibilities of what this really could be? And it, it, we did talk about brain chemistry and uh, various things and, you know, seeing things that others aren't or believing you saw something when you really didn't or whatever and how that affects things. Because what also came up was, some of the medicine that she hasn't experienced very much in the last couple of years, but she's okay. also taking some medicines that would affect those types of things. So then it's a question of, did she really see it and the medicine is blocking it or was something screwed up with her brain chemistry, making her think she saw it and the medicine corrected it. And Interesting. you know, yeah. we can't say one way or the other, but again, that leads to, just because you saw this, you swear you saw it, you know you saw it, doesn't prove that it really happened. Honestly, eyewitness testimony, as much as it's revered by the courts, it really is one of the least reliable compared to, let's look at a monitor, let's look at a... Right. a but a, even a, that's not reliable that not anymore. take a break, if you will. Yeah. And in fact, this is kind of a, a very interesting segue. Um, one of the interesting things, so, so I watched High Score. 
The, yes. It's a yes. documentary about video games and kind of their history. And it's only six episodes long. I think six, maybe eight. But it, it goes into, you know, that, that world of um, what happened early, how did they get created, that kind of thing. And my own personal take is when I was in college, I, I, uh, I had enough credits coming out of high school and was in a computer science major where I could take extra classes. And so I often would do things where I was really curious as to um, when you're working with computers. I took one, for instance, on display devices. And the reason <laughs> which for at the time that is, was a big deal. <laughs> it was a big deal. And it was like how you're, so you're dealing with the number of pixels on screen. And how can you get an, an, a quickly identifiable, complete alphabet? You know, back when it was Epsidic, then ASCII, et cetera, where there's no ambiguity between your Bs and your Es and your 8s and whatever else it might be. And so you get a real feel for how does, how does even a computer monitor work? Back then, it was all rasters. It wasn't um, LEDs, individual pixels lighting up. It was a continual guy doing like this that would relight various different phosphors you know on the screen but really it was this beam that would go very very fast and it used what's called persistence of vision so that your mind takes that ever brightening thing at the right um number of cycles so that your mind puts together a picture and that you can see whether you have a good monitor or not by just like looking away and then to the left when you're not looking directly at it do you get flutter or not do you get you know like that it's not a solid image but that it actually has movement to it and the more you have um faster cycles the more that it refreshes so quickly that you can't really if you force yourself to perceive that it's not an ever on image and so for instance moving from raster any kind of um uh, i'm sorry uh tv screen type thing to a plasma panel which is what plato had at u of i it really was rock solid. It was individual, they didn't even call them pixels then, it was individual cells where there was an intersection of wires in a um, illuminatable gas, and it was, it was enough so that it looked solid. But if you look closer, you could see that, no, there really was dark in between the pixels, and a line wasn't a line. It really was that little bit of jag. Right. And so you get all these things for how we bring perception to ourselves that we don't want to see it as jagged. We want to see it as line. And so we do uh, things moving that, that you know, overcoming um, shadowing and shuttering and all those things artifacting where instead of seeing something moving smoothly across the screen, if you see it take different things, it's using the fact that we know our eyes cicade, they don't take um, a, a smooth flow of images. They actually kind of take sampling digitized snapshots of what's going on. And the more you learn about that, the more you can tune what you're presenting to the screen so that it looks like it's in real time correct. And same with, and to get back to the series, when they started talking about, so here's the first relatively primitive things, Pong. Two paddles, a little dot, beep, beep, boop. The minute you started to get into, and I jumped forward through a lot of cool episodes, texture mapping on the wall of a dungeon while you're playing Doom so that it looks good, so that it, it doesn't distract you with, it, it's not enough pixels to show, oh, that's a little bit of uh, um, what's uh, well, um, 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 niter on the walls of a dungeon. You know what I mean? And that they had, they were really smart. John uh, Carmack and John Romero, the guys who did that programming, were so smart about what we see and how much movement is going to be that we'll track on it. And like the amount of movement that it moves a little bit too quickly for your comfort level, it makes you sweat. It makes yeah. you, oh my God, it's coming right at me. And how it, how do you give it that level of resolution so that it looks 
like identifiably different. You know whether you're shooting uh, a demon or an ogre or a crab thing. Or you know, I, I should be able to just I played so many rounds of Doom and Quake and stuff. <laughs> I, I can start going into. But anyway, um, they were so smart about knowing that. But so smart meaning they know that we have these limitations that we're talking about that we don't really see things as they are. They use the fact that they know our brain processes. Our retina only gets a certain amount of information. Our brain fills in all the gaps. And they use that so that the computing power of the time could give you a convincing enough experience that instead of the jaggies and the uncanny valley and various other things we could use about what makes a computer monitor not good, <laughs> they used all that. So it was just at the edge of, wow, this is the best thing I've ever seen like this. And being able to like change your point of view and look up and look down and not have it be that it skitters, but right. that it's smooth. Man, they were so brilliant. Yeah. Total hats off. If you ever tried still to, is like I talked about, I wrote primitive maze drivers for Plato, and it really was such a simple problem in comparison to they're doing ray tracing and pixel mapping to show light sources and they're doing they invented it they figured really. it all out man they yeah. figured it out and multiple things moving on screen when you're getting attacked by a horde of these things each of those has an individual movement pattern oh my god with 286 level chips and yeah. graphic cards that you know they they were doing digital magic <laughs> right so that's so, some the, all of that is about this of we get to learn that we know that people don't smell and see and taste with um, accuracy, with authority. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It, it's uh, We can acknowledge that we're limited beings in that way. When I see something that I can't identify moving in the sky, I'm going to say, well, what, is it? Do, do, what does it look like? A flying saucer, I guess. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's one of those that I have a hard time believing. <laughs> So right. let me throw a couple things at you. Besides High Score, which is a fantastic series, uh, there is an audio book I listened to that okay. um, is called Console Wars. Um, okay. I would recommend this audio book. Put it on when you go for your walk, listen to it in the shower, whatever. It is like 30 hours long. It's like, oh my God, wow. it's so long. But much more detail than what I just talked about, where it really goes into Nintendo yes. and Game Boy and Sega and the but wars no, between. No, I'm no, sorry, no. Console Wars is just the rise of Sega and its battle against Nintendo. And that's all it is. And it sounds okay. like, well, okay. But it's, it's done in a narrative fiction style. And it is just so fascinating. I mean, I, the guy that turned me on to it, I, I texted him. I said, okay, I'm only like nine hours into this. I know how this ends. I lived through this. I know what happens to Sega in the end. But right. I'm just so glued to this. It's like I'm cheering for the guy and I'm stuck on this <laughs> because it's such a good telling of the story. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons there. So Console Wars, highly recommended. Thank you. I, honestly, I never listen to audiobooks, and I'm going to have to make that less never because I'm really curious. So, is it also a book? Could I read it I if I wanted to? Yes. Okay. Because yeah. you know, it, it's I I imagine that I'll get more emotion out of it if I hear the guy reading, like you were saying, it's happening in real time, and and it's right. the, the okay. I think there is a book. Cool. It's it's probably worth reading. Okay. I'm sure. The other okay. one, which you may have seen before, is called Masters of Doom, and it's about Romero and Carmack and. Uh, their exactly. and in software exactly yeah that's a good yeah. one too i've uh i've read that book i've got it but i also listened to the audio book 
Yeah. I, I will, you know, it's kind of funny. One of the opportunities we have with our show is we get to do a little name dropping and a couple shout outs of appreciation. I was in Chicago. I was president of the Mac user group called The Rest of Us and big downtown groups that had hundreds of members. And regularly we had as our guests, like for, especially for Christmas time when games were coming out, the boys from Bungie. And the reason that I say that is because now, of course, they're men. They're, they're you know, this is back in the um, early and mid 90s. Um, they, on the Mac side, were the ones that figured out similar things to what the id crew did, Carmack and, and Romero, like we just talked about. Their first game, Pathways to Darkness, was one of the first ones where the graphics were great. It was internetworkable, so you could have multiple people playing. And then they're the ones that went on to do, um, and, uh, I can't believe I'm not thinking of the name of it. Uh, <clears throat> it'll come to me. Um, the boys from Bungie were like 16. Wow. They were, they had time on their hands. They were the same kind of thing as, you know, any number of people in this high score thing say, well, school wasn't enough. And so I dropped out and went to do this amazing thing over here. They, I don't know about their schooling, but I know that they did amazing things that like other people in the world were trying to figure this out as well. How to take care of latency, how to do internet working, where even with nowadays, as you know, we have the amazing internet. Back then it was, Apple link cables, maybe Ethernet, but you couldn't count on everybody, and especially any, over any kind of distance. It wasn't the um, cabling that we have nowadays. It was via modem, so you were, you were limited to 1632. You know what I mean? It was really much slower, and yet they made a game that was absolutely playable. You know, so so Myth was one of their games that was yes multiple players with multiple um, uh, people in each party from the players with all different kinds of movement, all different kinds of weapons, a, a very um, convoluted um, map. So you had to worry about, well, when I throw a grenade up a hill, it should roll back down if you don't give it enough strength. And they all the physics model was perfectly done. So we would have a chance, not Dave and I, my, my partner in Lankmark Corporation, not only like had a chance to goof with them at the rest of us meetings, but they would invite us to their like beta testing parties and stuff like that. And, they had offices in one like the worst section of the city, <laughs> right? You know, like south side of Chicago, right where you had to have barbed wire and gates on every parking lot because you had to keep the uh, the bad element out, if you will. So, you know, we had to get the right passcodes to be able to allow to park. Otherwise, our car would get stripped in the six hours of gaming that we were about to do. But they just were amazing in what kinds of things they were figuring out and so young. I mean, I was already... Uh, an accomplished consultant, if you will, king of databases, doing early middleware type stuff, all kinds of multiple programming languages. And when I saw what they could do, it was like, that's yeah. just amazing. It's yeah. amazing that you have this inherent understanding of the physics model and the how to just shave every single um, inefficiency out of code so that it was all up there on the screen and everybody playing thought, I'm the only one in this game. Is that a, is that a, uh, a monster that's being done by AI or is it another player and the fact that they developed AI uh, enough so that you really sometimes couldn't tell oh, hats yeah. off to them for having this is mid 90s 25 years ago nowadays a lot of things have quite good AI things did not have anywhere near monsters were I'm going to walk along until you shoot me I'm, I'm going to jump there, well, there was just they were so primitive in comparison to did they really stalk you 
Is that creature really responding and getting smarter every time I interact with them? How are they doing that? Right. And really the, the, well the, done, the, man. The youngsters need to also understand. Marathon, by the way, oh, Marathon, Marathon was yes. a breakthrough game after Pathways into Darkness that was the first introduction of more sophisticated graphics that looked great, Marathon, played great. Even wow. us PC guys had heard of Marathon. There you uh, go. Exactly. So, but the, the, the youngsters <clears throat> need to understand at that time, you didn't have separated video cards and separated uh, this. It was all the CPU that was chugging along just to run the operating system. That's so exactly right. Do all this other stuff and get the graphics that they wanted because they were right. really working with uh, what what would be a little square in today's monitor with sixteen colors. You know, I mean, it was you know four hundred pixels this way and eight hundred this way, and that's your whole thing. You know, think about a phone that was as much as you got. With exactly. less processing power. So, I mean, it really was different. Yeah. So, I the have things not they did with memory use and caching that they did with yeah. you know, doing that. Man. <laughs> Again, it's, if it's not the military, it's video games have pushed technology more than anything. So, I'll, I'll say that sweeping statement if there's anything that pushes the bounds out, it's porn. And it's gaming. That when was always my. For where, <laughs> I, I always ask I mean? people. I'm looking for a new computer, but I want to make sure it's powerful enough. I'm like, are you a gamer? Well, no. Then don't worry about it uh, because That's unless right. you're a gamer, you don't need the biggest rigs. Right. You're not going to worry about your FPS and stuff. Right. Exactly. So I have not <laughs> watched. Second for those listening, frames per second. Okay. <laughs> I have not watched a uh, high score. Uh, what what all like companies or video games did they cover besides Doom and that? So that's actually towards the end. They they first bring in, you know, Nolan Bushnell with um, Pong and, and him having that early realization of if there's a way that I can get this commercialized, you know, that if I can get this game Space Wars that people are playing at MIT, I can get them to charge quarter for every time they want to play it. So it and goes into the very, very early things of where it required a mainframe. And then it was what happened on the Apple II or on the PC. Um consoles in terms of Nintendo and then the Game Boy and then Super Nintendo and injecting Sega into that. Um, they, they have passing reference to, um, let's see, the Odyssey and um, uh, the various things that didn't even have a, it wasn't a computer or a console, they attached directly to your TV set. So Atari, of course, a big one. And in fact, they, they really were good in terms of, it's not only um, fact, 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 they have interviews with all the principals. So Here's the guy that that did this breakthrough game, but then also did E.T., where all those cartridges were buried in a landfill because it's kind of reviled as one of the worst games of all time. And so how did he deal with that? This amazing triumph and then this amazing fall from grace, if you will. Yeah. Um, they went to Japan and interviewed, and I, I, how terribly Western of me. I don't have the great ability to absorb Japanese names where I don't want to butcher it. I respect yeah. them too much to just say, I think it was Hidori. I... I but they had, this is the guy that developed Mario, and what a breakthrough that was in Donkey, in Donkey Kong, and then to take him out of that and make it into the Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers, and then Sega had to come up with their own response to that, so that was Sonic the Hedgehog, and that not only the people that were the developers and the designers and the company owners, but also the players. Who won that first Nintendo World <laughs> Championship? A 10-year-old kid. That was that wasn't uh, actually the first one was, um, probably it was maybe it wasn't Nintendo World Championship, but it was like the combination of Tetris, three games that you had to all be good at. So it was kind of a decathlon, a triathlon. triathlon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and and 
talking about all the early things that we know about of, well, in order to win that championship, like he dropped out of school. He was in his room all the time and his parents were either get out of there, go outside, you know, blow some of the dust off of you, or they were, you're extraordinary at this. We will sponsor you. We'll take you to faraway cities. We'll take you to Japan, if that's what it takes, to prove that you really are extraordinary at this. And so they had all kinds of different cool perspectives and interviews with people that are still around to tell the tales of, here's how I developed this. Here was the breakthrough. Here's the skunk works that they had us, like, hidden from the world. You're trying to develop a new game but you can't break the non-disclosure agreement of somebody you might have worked with before. You have to create that kind of, you know, the world of, I can prove that this was clean room conditions. I didn't do any stealing of code. I didn't take anything with me. I started from scratch, but developed a, a, a work alike. They talked about, like, taking apart Nintendo and being able to yeah. add a graphics chip to it that gave it extraordinary effects that you couldn't get on the regular, and then how much some places were very rigorous about defending their intellectual property and others, when they saw this come out, they'd invite them in. They'd say, that's really good. We can't do that yet. How about if you come work for us? How about if we buy you out? How about if we license it? Yeah. And so that's how Microsoft that, got big. Yeah. And, and as you might imagine, the amount of money makes for amazing stories. You know what I mean? The, the kinds of things when you're selling a million units of something, there's, there's people who made a lot of money, either the individual or the company who went, um, corporate who went rogue early and did their independent thing. And I, it's, so I, I know I jumped all over the place there because I, one of the things that happens with me when I binge watch something is I don't always remember from episode Order, to episode yeah. what's in each. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Right, it's right. the whole detail all, all told. Um, they did have things, of course, about um, Congress saying, well, how much are video games affecting our kids? Not only in the addictive way, but in the oh my god, Mortal Kombat, night, night Trap, if I remember right, that was like yeah. showing was a home, home being invaded and just you know pretty pretty convincingly bad about this clamp goes on someone's neck. These creatures are vampires and they start to suck the blood out of it, and it looks pretty convincing. That was Sega, <laughs> and that was one of the problems that's talked about like in several chapters of go. and uh, okay. also. To be known was Dana Plato was one of the actors or actress from uh, different strokes. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Exactly. So it, it really, I mean, it, that, that whole thing of, and they had, you know, like um, the way they did advertising, you know, who plays these games? Well, they're going for the young, they're going for the teen. And so they have to be a little edgier. And then yeah. it's like, well, you want to get adults that are now like, they don't want to be hiding the fact that they're still playing these. I know let's get Arnold Schwarzenegger to play. I like video. You know what I mean? He wasn't one of the ones, but I'm trying to think of who it was where they had, here's professional wrestlers the sports playing figures. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Here's, they, they, and that was the, obviously the fighting games were some of the first alerts. Like when they first had Street Fighter, it was relatively tame, but then Mortal Kombat was where you actually had the finish him and the evisceration, the blood gouting, the and you could go blood, blood or being no turned blood. off and on. But and... Joseph Lieberman and all kinds of Congress critters talking about, you know, this is going to destroy our children. And, like everything else. You know, <laughs> exactly like and just that I, I just wrote something about this recently you know i got a feeling that every single one of those times that they were accused of this is going to end civilization as we know it it's going to turn all of our kids into jds etc what's at the heart of that a little bit of what we just talked about earlier like can you distinguish reality from from fiction can, <laughs> I, I, are you going to fall into this game and think i just ran someone over in a game so i'm going to go get in my car and do it no most right. people and not, not, not all, unfortunately. There really are some people that kind of get the immersive experience was too much, and it kind of affected them. But for most things, 
all the statistics would say when we study what causes violence in youth, it's not video games. It's home situation. It's bad neighborhood. It's uh, genetics. You know what I mean? Every time that they've done a study of video games or comic books or any number of other things that have been accused over the years of being what's going to bend their mind, <laughs> warp their spine, and lose the war for the Allies, it's not been the thing being accused. Right. It's almost always been pretty much socioeconomic status and home situation. Yeah. And of course, as you might imagine, course, the parents that are trying to protect little Billy from those video games, they don't want to find out. It's because you're a drunken bum that your kid is learning how to be violent. Yeah. Or and I, brain curious right for effect. Of course, it's not only that. But right, yeah. <laughs> you know and, what I mean? And I, you know, I, I laugh. I've laughed at that from the beginning because number one, Kids played cowboys and Indians or cowboys and Native Americans uh, for decades, the cops and robbers. And not all of them went out and robbed banks and shot people. You know, so it's just it just keeps changing. I and you personally, I've played so many hours of Doom that I probably could have earned a four year degree in that same amount of time. <laughs> But right. I'm not going out and just blowing people away or going to my you school. Become the guy stalking yeah. them all. Exactly. That's not what does no. it. It now mm -hmm. with somebody that has a mental issue that has some brain chemistry or problem or drug addiction and whatever. If they play that game, might it be what triggers them to push it? Yes, I definitely can see that. They bring their problems into that situation, and then this is the thing that yeah, gives but, them images to act out. If it wasn't like Doom, that. it would have yeah. been some movie. It would have been some guy on the street or just getting enough drugs in them that they snapped. I mean, it's not the game itself. It's, it's, people, right. oh, it's just, that drives me crazy that people yeah. are always like that. Because I've played all these games, you know? I, I don't go right. and shoot people often right uh, like, and, and what please go, please go ahead oh i was just gonna jump back you mentioned uh et uh i know mm -hmm. larry herb from microsoft they sponsored a thing and went and dug up that site with the et cartridges and they actually found oh them. my it's on video treasure hunting that's funny yeah, okay that. but <laughs> to put it in perspective a couple a year or so ago, Cyberpunk 2077 came out and was considered a disaster. And they had spent what four or five years on it, and people were just ripping it apart. It's a huge open world; you can do just about anything. I mean, down yeah. to the point whether uh, you have a big bulge in your pants or not. That's I mean, they, <laughs> that's what they have in the game. But it's it's got just so many areas that you can explore and the environment to what. And it took five years or so to make and it still had all these problems which i think people need to lighten up a little bit get, you know chill out it's not the end right, of the world right et the the one single programmer was given four weeks to make et <laughs> so there you go right he, he he talks about that that back then kind of straight out of dilbert people didn't know how long it took so they just said well it's got to be ready for christmas it doesn't matter that it's already october you got to kill yourself. Right. And so, you know, whatever they did to do the best they could to be able to ship something. And, and like, I don't know, again, Carmack and Romero talk about each version of their, the Doom engine that they wrote, they, they wrote it so they could create new, better versions of things. And then, then having the whole idea of modding, of being able to not only have their version they of it, but that. open it up for the world, open it up enough of the guts so that people could do the Star Trek version and the Indiana Jones version and whatever else the various different things might be. Um, now that's extensible games were, were an incredible breakthrough. And I think that they were one of the very earliest ones that allowed for that. I know that I played all kinds. We used, we used to get together and do a land party. 
Yep. Me and me and the, the the guys in Chicago, and I worked at Ameritech, and so we had a very well networked building. And I would like I'd grab a conference room on the weekend, and I'd get everybody into the building, and we would have um, all the various different maps from Marathon that that uh, some were good for individual like deathmatch, some were good for teams and capture the flag type stuff. And we just can't tell you how many times we played overnight. And like you don't even realize how much time is passing until is that dawn? Is that light <laughs> creeping through those windows? Because it, as you might imagine, it wasn't only playing the game; it's while you're in the game, all the guys just ranking on each other, oh, constant yeah. chatter. You know, I mean, you're going to eat it now, and 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 some people the skills level levels varied. You could tell who between sessions went home practiced a lot and then came back in as the Punisher. They were so much. I yeah. never. I fell behind quickly, but I got to play because I had to play. So, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And oh well, it that idea of um, they talked about that about whether these things were isolators or socializers, and that they, we've had various different ebb and flow of that over the course of time. Um, it cuts off at a certain point, you know, before the real like World of Warcraft. Uh, the, the real massive world around the world games happen where there really are clans, guilds, tribes, et cetera, et cetera. And there's thousands of people in the game and they actually have different, based on what server you are, you have different instances. So it really is probably through maybe mid, uh, maybe early 90s, through the 80s. And maybe that's why there's going to be a version two where they'll kind of catch us up because especially as that field explodes, oh, there's yeah. so many companies they didn't cover, so many individuals that made huge contributions they didn't cover. And they're still alive to talk to. So I'd love to be able to, you know, hear more stories about right. what was really going on. You really did pull like 40 days of, of overnighters in order to get this done <laughs> and then collapsed. I guess you did. That's an amazing achievement, even if it almost killed you. <laughs> right. And you mentioned the psychological aspects and, and that, you know, the, the, the reward, yeah. the, the, the quick, all that. Man, they have that nailed with mobile games now. Because they have all these Farmville and all these fighting games and stuff where, oh, look, if you join for free, we'll give you this character and this great sword and all these extra coins and all this. Oh, great. You start playing. It's like, well, now to get to the next sword, it's going to cost three coins. I've got five. Here's three. Okay, great. Well, exactly. now to get to the next bigger sword, it's going to cost 10. <laughs> oh, I don't have 10. Well, you can keep playing for 20 hours or for a dollar, we'll give you those. That's oh, right. All the in-game purchases, and just I got putting it. that and, lancet in and starting. <laughs> right. We were talking about actually doing studies. They have done studies and they, they hook the stuff up to the brain and let people play. And that ding, I got a, a next level reward. It fires off like gambling. Dopamine flood. Exactly. And it's just like gambling or having sex. And boom, and boom, boom, exactly they, right. boom, there goes another one. Oh, it's, and they just keep more and they keep feeding it. And then you have to work more and more to get it. And it's like crazy. They, they so have the psychology down that it, it is That's scary. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's an article circulating right now that I just saw on Facebook or other media about how we're all flooded with dopamine. We're all so used to getting those incremental awards that are what gets you addicted. And from gaming, from social media, oh, someone likes me. You know what I mean? All, just seeing your name mentioned, whatever else it might be. And that part of what you need to do is kind of detox. You need to get away from yeah. that and go for a walk in the forest so that you know I'm not going to get any of those reinforcing things here. I'm going to let that drain out because otherwise your brain is really awash 
in all the pleasure drugs that they've learned how to administer in all those different ways. And, and you know, so you know, maybe that's why I've never gotten so into some of those games and Facebook and stuff because I've never needed to do drugs to feel important, successful, or like I've done yeah. something good. Uh, I've never needed that artificial feedback to get to make myself. I, I, I well, heck, I was going to tell you. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. I actually with Linux Mint created a, a, a demo version level of a platformer that I then put on my phone. So I had a platform How game cool on my phone. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, wow, that's pretty awesome. To me, that's yep. really nothing. I mentioned it to you and you're like, yeah, okay, that's cool because you could do it. And I know five other people that could do it. But what I've come to realize is the other 98% of the public and people in the world think that that's an amazing achievement. They could never do anything like that. And they don't even understand it. And I'm like, oh, really? But those are the things I do that I don't need 50 likes on my Facebook post or whatever. Exactly. I mean, that one of the wonderful themes that they talked about with the various different creators was that it's the act of creation that they really enjoy. Yeah. You know, they, they always, of course, played their own games, play tested them. Sometimes they created games because nothing out there was right in the way that they wanted a game to be. But then after they create it, they don't play it to death. They moved on to the yeah. next thing to create. That that's its own rush. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it, it is. There's a difference between being a consumer and a producer. <laughs> and and uh, I, a lot of, they didn't use this term in particular, but I've talked about flow before, that one of the ways in which you get a real um, rush is going into coding and kind of losing yourself for two, three, four hours, and you're hyperproductive, and you do an amazing, difficult thing and kind of come out of it. You know what I mean? You're While you're in it, you don't want interruptions. You, you're not going to the bathroom, whatever else it might be. And then when if you, you have to, in order to be able to do that consistently, you have to create that environment of no interruptions, of just the right music and lighting, of you went to the bathroom, and that isn't a call of nature that's going to make you break, because what you can get done in two, three, four hours of really deep, perfect coding is better than 12 hours of interrupted, yeah. in and out, talking with the world, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and, of, and, man, I don't that, do that, that enough anymore. That's I have to like, get rid of the world. You know, I used to do it by <laughs> staying up later. And nowadays, there's never time the internet isn't on. Right. There's never time that the insomniacs aren't posting something. And right. I'm not an insomniac, but I don't get away from their stimulation unless I really do turn everything off and only focus on the job at hand, you know? Yeah, so. and, and that flow state, it's funny. I remember uh, several little clips, uh, Sheldon from Big Bang, like just crazy, you know, going to something. They're like, Sheldon, he's like, don't interrupt, in the flow, I'm in the flow. And then he's like, yes. what day is it? And people laugh about it, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, I've lived that. I, I get it in a different way than everybody else. Right. I know this is not, you know, here, it's, we all, I always do too many confessions. There really were times when I really had a lot to get done and I was enjoying getting it all done. And so I don't know, I like all those things you do regularly, like sleep and eat and bathe and all that kind of stuff, they became optional instead of necessary. <laughs> so there's been times when I was like, man, I got to go home to change because I can tell them a little right. But there's but a I reason for the lose This incredible. I was just doing so well. And you don't want to, when, when, when the universe gives that to you, you don't want to throw it back. No. You want to embrace it and give, take the gift it's given you. And, you know, I always had limiters like, well, I got to go home and let the pooch out. I got to go home. I got to go and eat something. But 
you know, if, if you arm your coating area with enough Diet Dr. Pepper and bagels and peanut M&Ms that you kind of have You're your... Good. Your MREs of coding, yeah. you know what I mean? You have well, your, your C rations of coding. It is I, any number of times was at my desk for hours. Yeah. It is amazing <laughs> how distended you can let your bladder become when it's mind over pee. <laughs> I never ever used a trucker's friend. No. But there's any number of times that when I got to the bathroom, it was like, oh my God, I hope I make it. Oh my God. I have to go not, so bad. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're oh. just like just a little more. Wait, I, just another line. Just wait. What? Hold on. I just I have one more function. Uh, you know, <laughs> my mother when I was younger got mm. me a survival kit for Christmas, and it had okay. fruit roll ups, and it had uh, snacks in it, and she put directions to the uh, refrigerator from my room, uh, and then That's she put funny. an empty jar in there for me. Uh, she said okay. because she would call me to dinner. She's like, Steve, dinner's ready. Okay, be down in a minute. An hour and a half later, she'd bring the food to me and say, uh, it's getting cold. I'm like, well, I said right. I'd be down in a minute. She's like, that was like two hours ago. Exactly. <laughs> really? Two hours? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Done that. I Way back, there was a time, I think I mentioned when I was working on Gambit, that that and like, um, I was still Loksek of Chicago area Mensa, but those were pretty much the only things I was doing in my life. I wasn't dating anybody. I was taking care of my pooch. I was going home to sleep, but it's, it's kind of weird. People have done studies where people stay in caves that your circadian rhythm is not necessarily 24 hours, kind of 26. And if you're not aware of the signs of dawn and dusk and when you should be doing those things, there's any number of times that I like continually had to, okay, I did this all this week. And now in order to do these things on the weekend, I have to get on a regular sleeping and waking and eating and that everything schedule. And, and this is the, the confession. So I would do those things. I was a good human being and was sociable and so forth. But some part of me while that was going on was thinking of what I was going to work on when I got done with this regular thing and could go back to being right. immersed, superhuman and weird. And people talk about that. You know, your mind is always processing in the background. And I would make notes to myself where I'd say, oh, man, don't free, don't lose this idea. I... When I was talking with people, I really sometimes had to interrupt and say, I swear I'm paying attention to you, but my mind is doing background stuff because I'm really working on an interesting project. <laughs> Give me a moment. This yeah. is before smartphones where you couldn't just, you know, get it in. I, I regularly carried like a little, you know, note cards or a, a spiral thing and some pens so I wouldn't lose it those It never things. stops. It's the, it's the old, <laughs> hey, don't you want to stop programming for a minute and come and see the world? Why? What day is it? Saturday? <laughs> What See? month is it? <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, I never really lost track of that way. I kind of did that cycle that I was just talking about, but there were any number of times where even on, I would like do things on the weekend and I just, wow, I, <laughs> I hope I didn't, I think that I didn't really offend anybody by what I just said, but there must've been times when you and I were talking and all of a sudden my eyes went away for a moment. Yeah. I got the far look. Because this thing possessed me, even when I, I swear, Catherine, I was talking to you, I really was paying attention, but I got something going on here that is really intoxicating. But I would say, <laughs> I would say, going back to what we were talking about, that the joy of creating that, the joy of doing something in the programming and the, the, just the, what it, the pleasure it gives you is so powerful that yeah. it, it, when you have that, 
looking at things like getting Facebook likes for a post seems so shallow and artificial and it has no pleasure. But (laughs) unless you've experienced, it's the same as when you're playing music and you really just nail that, that piece you're working on or creating music or any of those types of skills or the baseball player who works, you know, or, or the basketball player that shoots and shoots until they can get every three pointer. They do, you know, it's that, that achievement pride level. And then other things seem so much less. You don't care. When I worked on the cruise ship, this happened to me. I spent okay. months on a cruise ship playing music that people loved. And we just, just some good stuff. And I did some improving and just the yes, life. Yes. Then I came back and my friend said, Hey, you want to go to the movie? I'm like, no, I don't really feel like going to a movie. That seems kind of a waste <laughs> of life, you know? And I think there have been people in my life that don't get that, that seriously, I am so happy and enjoying things by spending my weekend programming this, whatever you don't understand. Yeah. Well, you need to relax. I am relaxing. That's, you know, sitting right. in front of a, a six hours of football on a Sunday is not relaxing to me. That, exactly. You know, I, I, I've occasionally, I'm, I'm a reasonable uh, organizer and inspirer. So I often have taken on leadership roles in various different things I've done. And one of the things you do as a leader is, of course, not do it all yourself and not make everybody do it like you would do it. You have to learn your team enough to say, this person really loves being the treasurer. They love things adding up correctly, row column. I, I took care of everything. This person loves being the hospitality. They're so warm and welcoming and how they show their love is by feeding people. And this person, they get uh, a project level satisfaction out of, I'm going to move things in and set it all up and then I'll relax for the weekend. Then I'll move them back out. And so when you get people that are not the right peg in the right hole, there's really sadness and dissension and, and conflict. But if you're without doing psychological testing, if you can figure out a lot of those things and offer things and have people embrace it, I've had wonderful teams where every creature seemed to be happy in its nature. You know what I mean? This was an attention payer and this was a, let's make a big event out of it. And and, and I, I, I try to do that for myself. You know what I mean? When I know that, what you're saying, I don't know that I have any single thing that does that, but I can tell when I've done something for too long and I need a taste of the other, I don't like, Oh, now you're slacking off. No, it's more, I have these six things that I care about. And right now they're kind of out of balance. So when I go away for a weekend of playing pinball, it's not only that I'm a, I'm a goof and I like to play pinball. It's that that experience of, I don't have anything else to worry about. I'm not going to interact with the world. I'm going to interact with machines. I'm going to figure out patterns. I'm going to work on a little bit of my manual dexterity, whatever it is that uh, the feedback of you play it and you get better at it. And so that's its own feedback loop. When I haven't had that for too long of a time, I really miss it. And pinball is a really interesting way of capturing that yeah. for, for a reasonable amount of money, for a reasonable amount of investment of time, you know? So at any number of other activities, when I haven't been out in a national park for a long time, where I really need horizon, where I need big spaces <laughs> and my place in the world is like not insignificant, but it's small and interrelated. And yeah. and you have to know, like, when I'm out here, I'm not the master of anything. I'm, I have to know the weather matters and animals matter. And, and, you know, my capacity to march up this mountain is not unlimited. So plan your thing well so you're not going to get yourself in danger and who your companions are. So I, I'm sorry, sometimes I, that kind of thing of understanding yourself well 
is right at that top of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, self-actualization and self-awareness. And maybe that's something, if I had to say anything about getting to 60s, I really am pretty aware of what I like now. I, I love surprising myself with, oh, I didn't know I would like that because I haven't had every experience <laughs> in the world. But some definition of happiness is find out what makes you happy and do it. Do yeah. more of it. Don't spend your time in drudgery, in things that aren't true to your nature, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I don't know, people who are happy in their jobs seem to be that way. That yeah. It isn't work. It's a joy. If you're happy in your work, you'll be a, a satisfied human being. Yeah. And unfortunately, so many people have jobs that are just, I work eight hours a day to bring in the money so I can do what I really love doing. It's like, I wish I could convince you to try to change that equation, to try to right. find something that your work was actually joyful for you instead of drudge for you. Yeah. And, and I've tried to tell people that, you know? you know, that the yeah. programming, the writing, even music and stuff, that's never a job and a chore. I enjoy all of it. So exactly. if I'm sitting there programming, you know, but it's like, well, you know, work day's over. Yeah, but I need to finish this and this is fun. It, you know, the, 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 what, what is fun doesn't sound fun to so many people. And that took me so, so long fun. to understand that, that yeah, really, you don't yeah. find that fun. <laughs> so whatever. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, we've been wow, a nice I, long well, session today. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of um, good stuff. We though. got to some things next time, Sin City, next time, more about comic yes. books. Cause boy, I've been reading some good stuff and well, and there's always, I'm spending the weekend up in Michigan at the Paracon. So, uh, I mean, oh talking the paranormal okay. stuff, uh, you'll I should have, have You'll have things. many things. to talk. Let, Let's absolutely, let's make sure that you give us the cool recap and the cool, I, I would love to hear more about it. And I'm sure that our listeners would as well. So yeah. very cool. Have a great I, time. At Dean Haglund's going to be there and I have a t-shirt for him. I think I told that story. So uh, yes, not, exactly. Uh, that, that you had a chance to have a wonderful talk with him yeah. because you actually like, you know, we're a human being instead of only a fan. <laughs> right. Yeah. So bless you. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. I, I really, I, like I said, I have to remember, I got to do the Dracula, but I got to remember, don't blow your head up. <laughs> yeah. We caught it on <laughs> camera though. Evidence. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Have a good All one. Right. I'll talk to you Take later. care, Stephen. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.